0: You're going to have to excuse me this morning. I'm a little bit tired. I was up at 3 a.m. watching the royal wedding. It was awesome, man. Six and a half hours of coverage. Barbara Walters, she knows everything. I am so thankful for her. Uh, Here's a picture. Uh, This is just, oh, I mean, this is it right here, you know? I mean, Kate, you look great. I mean, what a princess. I, you know, I was thinking. I'm waiting for the dress. You know, what's the dress going to look like, and and what it what it appeared, I said, it's perfect. It's a perfect dress, and it's Grace Kelly. Okay, let's just let's call it what it is. It's Grace Kelly. All right. You saw the pictures, and and, and it's just so beautifully put together. And and she looks like a princess. And I was, just going to wear her hair up wear hair down, wear hair up, wear hair down, you know, I'm so glad she wore her hair down because that's who she is, That's, she's Kate, you know, she has to have her hair down, and, and the tiara, you know, before, during, I, you know, it was. It was I, I'm glad she wore it as she came in, it was just so precious, and, uh, and then, I don't know if I should wear a hat like that or not, I was thinking about that, if um, you have any thoughts, you can share them with me later. Next picture, fairy tale, fairy tale right here, okay? I mean, this is what it's all about. She is now the princess. Uh, yeah, and then the next picture, uh, I was so shocked. Uh, you know, they, they kissed once, all right? But the second kiss, oh, wow, that, that was totally unexpected. I'm like, wow, they did it again. Like, that's history, okay? All right? You know, the little girl down there, love her. You know, she's really into things. Uh, The noise was just too much. Well, I really didn't watch the wedding at that time. uh, I watched it at night with my wife at her insistence. I loved it, honey. I really did. I did. But, uh, yeah, what an event, huh? Okay, let's uh, have some honesty here. How many saw the Royal Wedding at 5 a.m. Central Time? Uh, okay, very good. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was a great time. Uh, we have so much bad news coming at us all the time. So it's, it's escapism, it's, you know, especially for women. I mean, they really get into this stuff, guys, if you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just a wonderful time of uh, celebrating... Uh, this particular wedding and pray everything goes well for them. Uh, Again, one of the key things about this wedding, of course, is that William could be the next King of England, and we haven't had a King of England for quite a while. And that's why it's uh, even more significant than other uh, royal weddings that we've seen. And uh, when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking all the press coverage and everything that... uh, Has been done in regards to preparation for the wedding and things of that nature, and he's just going to be a king. That's all. And the king of England is pretty much a ceremonial job. Well, friends, this morning uh, we're beginning a new series, and it's all going to be about King Jesus. King Jesus. Yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about, and it's going to be a four-month series, uh, May and June and July. In August and I'm really excited about it. We're going to be talking and uh, studying uh, through the book of Matthew and Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews and his main point is that Jesus is your King. He is your Messiah and you need to realize that. So I really want you to dig in uh, over the next four months. I want you to get to know Matthew better. Uh, I want to challenge you to read Matthew on a regular basis. In fact, uh, there's 28 chapters, so today is May 1st. Happy May Day. Uh, And uh, I want to encourage you to start with Chapter 1 today and then just go right through it up to uh, May 28th. You can even miss a couple days and still get it all in. Uh, But really get to know the book of Matthew, maybe buy a commentary on the book of Matthew. Uh, Find certain stories in Matthew and uh, memorize uh, passages, uh, meditate upon them. Again, uh, make this a priority in your life. And again, we had a great crowd last week at Easter, uh, but it's so important that we attend every week, that we're part of this corporate gathering of worship. This is a divine appointment that you have uh, with God. God's very clear in Scripture that uh, one day out of the week you're supposed to devote to Him, And certainly corporate worship is a part of that, as we see in the Word. So, hey, God wants you here every week if this is your home church. So I would encourage you as you look throughout the summer, and sometimes people can find a lot of things to do other than come to church during the summer. But God wants you here, and He expects you to be here. So I would encourage you also to make that a challenge and say, I'm going to be here every week, and I'm going to get to know uh, more about God's Word, especially the book of Matthew, and I'm going to come to worship Him and celebrate Him on a weekly basis. Now, I've got to prepare you. This is a pretty intense message. So you've got to put your thinking caps on, and uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 1, and Matthew chapter 2 are about the birth of Christ, and we've talked about that quite a bit uh, in the past. But Matthew chapter 3 is about John the Baptist. Many people say, why was he called John the Baptist? Well, because he was a member of the First Baptist Church of Judea. No doubt. He was a Baptist. Did you know we're a Baptist church? Yeah, we're a Baptist church. If you come to the Newcomers Lunch or our membership seminar, we'll talk more about that. But uh, uh, Springbrook Community Church is a part of the Baptist General Conference or Converge Worldwide, uh, which is an association of over 1,400 churches across the United States and all kinds of missionaries and it's a great family to be a part of wonderful churches that have a love uh, for the Lord and we cooperate with them and starting new churches and they blessed our church in so many ways but you got to realize John the Baptist was not a Baptist okay the reason he was called John the baptizer is because he baptized uh, so much that's what he was known for but uh, John had a very interesting attire and diet we'll see this here in uh, Matthew, oh, let's go back one. One more thing I wanted to talk about before we got to that uh, is the importance of John. Uh, Matthew 11:11. 11, 11, I tell you the truth, Jesus Christ said, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is at least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, this is coming from God. He's saying John is the most important person that ever lived in the sense of the greatest the one who God is most impressed with now he says of course in heaven we're all going to be equal we're going to be perfect but in terms of what was accomplished here on earth and the way John lived his life he was the greatest greater than Moses greater than Abraham greater than Solomon and David and Elijah and Elisha I mean wow we should know a lot about John the Baptist right if that's what God had to say about him Who was John the Baptist, and why was he so great? Now, today, uh, what do we, or what does the world that say, say about greatness? Well, you can be born into greatness, like uh, Prince William, or you can be uh, married into greatness, like uh, Kate. Uh, You also can be great if you are successful in your particular field. Uh, people perceive you as great. For example, like Donald Trump has been in the news the last couple of weeks. People perceive him as a very successful businessman, or you're great because you have a lot of money, like Warren Buffett, a famous investor. Uh, you can be great because of that. Well, that's what the world says greatness is. Here, God is saying, this man is great in mine eyes. So we should say, okay, what is it about John that is so great about him? And I would argue that the great thing about John is that his whole life was devoted to Jesus Christ. He lived for Jesus Christ. He proclaimed Jesus Christ. He submitted to Jesus Christ. So no matter what you're doing in your life right now, you might not have a job. You might feel like your job is not that important. You might feel like on the social strata, you're near the bottom. It doesn't matter. Greatness in the eyes of God is the only one that's going to count. Greatness is all about your relationship with Jesus. And the deeper relationship you have with Jesus, the more significant your life are. Are you looking for significance? Find it in Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to be talking about that throughout this series. Now, John was a little bit odd. We see that in Matthew 3, 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Well, (laughs) I wouldn't want to wear camel hair. He was out in the wilderness, and I think that'd be awfully itchy. And I tell you what, I'd have to have a lot of wild honey in my mouth to swallow a locust. But that's the way John lived. Uh, He was in relationship to uh, Elijah. Uh, He was, uh, again, the spirit of Elijah. We look at some verses about that. Uh, But again, uh, he kind of had that prophet. He was a prophet. And so he was out in the wilderness, away from Jerusalem, away from the hustle and bustle and the world's values. And he had a different message to give. And he had a different look. And people paid attention. So let's dive in studying Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is near now this is so important to understand John was a prophet and the last time there was a prophet on earth was in Malachi's day remember the book of Malachi the last book of the Old Testament well for 400 years there wasn't a prophet God did not speak to his people. There was a time of silence. And then John comes on the scene. So here, the people of Israel, they finally have a prophet again. So many of them say, wow, we better listen. You know, God hasn't spoken to us uh, in all this time. And in the original language, the idea of John the Baptist came preaching uh, as an official type of uh, person in the original language. It's not, it's not like a street preacher or something like that, but somebody who has been called to preach. That's the idea here. John the Baptist is an official representative of God, preaching in the desert of Judea. So he was out in the wilderness and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, you've got to remember, the Israelites, for the majority of the Old Testament, were always in rebellion, always not doing what God told them to do. And we see that in the book of Malachi. They were in the same boat. And then, throughout the 400 years of silence, they drifted from God even more. And so they were far from God. They were going through the motions. They were doing religious things. But their heart was not devoted to God. And so John was telling them, listen, you need to repent. It's all about your heart. It's all about your motive. It's why you do the things you do. Did you come here today because it was the thing to do to come to church? or your spouse dragged you, or whatever. Well, that's not the right reason. The reason you should have come today, and I should have come today, is because we love Jesus, and we want to worship God. That's the right motive. And the problem with the Israelites is they were doing everything for the wrong reason. Their leaders were teaching them to follow all the laws, but their heart was not with God. They weren't devoted to Him. So He was telling the people, you need to repent what is it to repent? Well, has have any of you ever gone down <clears throat> a, a street, a one-way street, the wrong way? Ever had that experience? Does that freak you out or what? Okay? I mean, you just kind of take a turn, and all of a sudden, it hits you when you see a car coming at you or <laughs> you see all the cars parked in a certain direction. <laughs> it's kind of like, wow. <laughs> and, and, and there's no question in your mind. You've got to turn this car around. Uh, You've got to get out of the way or you're going to experience an accident. It's immediate repentance. You repent. You're going one direction, a direction you shouldn't go, a direction that's not safe, and immediately you turn around and go the other way. There's no thinking. It's almost just, you know, uh, reactive. Uh, You don't think about it. It happens in a moment. Well, that's what repentance is you turn around you do a 180 you know you're going the wrong direction it's sin and you need to repent now obviously when a person comes into relationship with Jesus they repent of their sins they say Lord I'm a sinner I'm going the wrong direction uh, I need a relationship with you and therefore they confess their sins they repent and they turn around and they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they trust him for their salvation That's what it means to repent. But really, that's just the first step of repentance because repentance is the way we need to live as Christ followers. We need to have an attitude of repentance on a daily basis. We need to be sensitive to what the Spirit has to say to our lives. How many of you have ever had a virus on your computer? All right. Yeah, that's pretty common, right? How many of you... Uh, have lost your hard drive because of a virus. Oh, I am so sorry for you. <laughs> that is so painful. Of course, we all backed up, didn't we? Yeah, right. So all that to say is that uh, that's why we have virus protection software. I mean, is there anybody who doesn't have virus protection software on their computer? I hope not, uh, because you need it, uh, because you want to keep those viruses out. And and any time. You think you might have a virus. You know, somebody says, says, uh, sends you an email and said, Oh, I might have sent you a virus. <laughs> Thanks. Here, <Yeah. laughs> are coming off my list. Uh, but again, you do everything to protect yourself. You kind of freak out. You know, oh, I'm going to have a virus. I'm going to have a virus. And so you run a virus scan and all those different types of things. If only we would respond to sin in the same way, because sin is a virus in our spiritual life that can destroy us. But no, we don't respond to sin in that way. Oh, yeah, I got some sin in my life. You know, I'll deal with it. Don't have the energy right now. Really don't want to deal with it. Kind of like it. You know, I kind of like this virus. Uh, You know, it won't affect me. Hey, we're playing with danger. And we need to repent. And so we need to say, like the psalmist Search me, O God, and know my heart. Show me where I'm sinful, show me where I'm off track. There needs to be a continual attitude of wanting to repent in our lives because sin is such a subtle thing, especially as we grow and mature in Christ. Sometimes we're not even aware because we're just kind of used to doing the spiritual life. And and the Holy Spirit has to get in there and sometimes even take away some of those subtle sins uh, that aren't as apparent as others. I mean, there's all kinds of sins we can talk about. Think about this for a moment, okay? Where has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about sin in your life. How about selfishness? Selfishness. I struggle with that. Selfishness. I can be so selfish. Right? Now usually your spouse is going to tell you you're selfish. I'll just give you a clue right now. Alright? Because they can see it so clearly when you can't. I say you're being so selfish in that relationship or in that situation. Uh, what's, it, what's it what's the what's the problem? Uh, well, I'm selfish. And you gotta repent of that. That's wrong. God tells us to be selfless. It's not all about you. It's all about God and how you serve Him. Or maybe you're struggling with gossip. Uh, You just love to talk about other people. You love to spread rumors. You love to uh, slander people. Uh, You know, think about it that way. It's kind of a nasty word, but that's basically what you're doing is casting aspersions on their character and their actions and what's happening in their personal lives, things you should not be talking about. You have no right to talk about. It's sin, and you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to, again, turn around. God, I know this is wrong. I'm going down a one-way street the wrong way. I need to turn around, and I need to let your power flow through me in order to deal with this sin in my life. Or possibly, uh, you struggle with lust, just mentally, or looking at pornography, or possibly you've gone further than that and you're involved in some type of relationship. It's time to repent immediately. you got to do something. You can't live with that type of thing. It's a virus that's going to destroy you. You need to turn around. You need to confess your sin. You need to do things differently. Or maybe it's bitterness. You just have a bitterness about someone in your life. A bitterness. God about the situation in your life. You need to repent from that. That is a virus in your life that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be eradicated from your life. Again, I'm not saying that these sins are necessarily removed so easily. I mean, you need to continue to remove the sin, but it's a process, as we've talked about before. But you need to become so laser focused on dealing with whatever sin the Holy Spirit has in your life that he's pointing out, and you need to say, I'm going to devote myself to ridding myself of that sin, to the power of God, and I'm going to focus on it because it's a virus that is, of course, very unpleasing to God because it's sin and it can destroy me. You've got to take action. Or maybe you have uh, the sin of discontentment. You're always comparing yourself to other people, saying, oh, why can't I have that particular type of skill, like and I have that kind of salary and so forth. And that's sin. That's sin. Call it what it is. And, and, and I know in my life, I just need to pray more. God, show me my sin. Because many times we just go along in life and we say, I'm not doing any of the big sins, but all these little subtle sins are adding up. And they're impacting our spiritual health. And of course they're impacting our relationship with God, and we just need to repent. Some of you need to be broken. This next verse speaks of that. I see in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, "...godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death." Now, we all know about worldly sorrow. That's the kind of sorrow, oh, I got caught. We see a parade of celebrities and politicians on the news when they get caught in some type of sin they say oh I made a mistake and you always kind of wonder and sometimes you don't wonder based upon (laughs) what you might know about the person Uh, you know are they really being sincere like Tiger Woods when he got involved in his illicit uh, sexual relationships that became known and he came out and and he apologized Uh, but again when you listen to a person and you wonder, well, is it truly repentance? Do they really feel bad about it? Do they feel, that they own how they impacted other people? And obviously how they impacted God, but they might not be a Christ follower. And I'll tell you what, many of you, many of you have a worldly type of repentance when you're caught in sin. We all can fall into that. It's kind of like, oh, You know, I got busted by my spouse. I got busted by my friend. I got busted at work. And so you go through the motions to kind of fix the problem. But you never have godly sorrow. And that is that you have sinned against God. And you need to be sorrowful over that. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Repentance is, is, is a full action in the sense that you intellectually understand you've done something wrong, and then you emotionally own it, and then you change. You change. It's not just enough to say, I'm sinful. You've got to change. You've got to get back on track with God's desire for that area of your life. There is power. You've got to change. So some of you, I just know from personal experience and talking to other people, You're going to have to be broken. And I'm warning you. Some of you are sitting out there saying, hey, I'm going to continue in this sin. I don't care what you say, Harrison. I don't care what the Bible says. And You know, I'm just warning you. Because if you have that type of attitude and you're stuck in that sin and you really have no desire to get out of it, God's going to break you. God's going to break you until you get to the point of godly sorrow. So it makes sense, right? that you say, God, please help me to understand how terrible this sin is and how I need to deal with this sin in my life so that it doesn't have to break you. It's no fun being broken by God, but He loves you and He will do it if you've got a virus that's controlling your body and destroying you, God loves you. He doesn't want you rebelling against Him. You need to repent. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart to show you how you can repent on a regular basis and keep your heart clean from any type of virus. Well, we continue on in verse 3. Now, Matthew's speaking about John the Baptist here. He says, John is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah prophesied about John, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, back in that day whenever a king came into a village or a town they would send an advance team as they do with the president these days the secret service and other people who are going to prepare the celebrations and the gatherings for the president but there would be an advance team for the king and they would make sure that the village or town knows that hey the king is coming everybody gets excited and they make these plans to welcome the king but it says make straight paths for him what does that mean well the roads were atrocious in those days, even worse than Chicago streets, I mean, they just were not safe to travel down. They had all kinds of holes. They didn't have any type of uh, Israeli uh, uh, road department. (laughs) I mean, they just, you know, they were just in bad shape. They were dirt roads. And so what they would do is they would actually go out there and they would fix the roads. They would fill in all the holes and make sure that it was safe for the king to pass through. Well. What John is saying here is that Jesus Christ is coming. The kingdom is near. So you need to prepare your hearts, my Jewish friends. You need to, rep- you need to prepare your hearts and you need to repent. You need to make the, the, uh, the, the path straight. And, and we need to continue to do that in our lives. We need to have a softened heart. We need to be listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us about where we're at and where the sin is and where we need to repent. That's the whole idea. We move on to uh, verse 5. People went out to him. That is, they went out to John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, was around 30 years old at this time. He was six months older than Jesus Christ. And so he was probably ministering around six months before Jesus Christ came on the scene. So he was preaching, and he became very popular. People wanted to know what he had to say. He was a prophet from God. So they came to Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. That's quite a large area. So they were walking hours and hours to see John, confessing their sins. So they they were responding. They were saying, yeah, John, we do need to repent. We have been off track. Our heart isn't devoted to God. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Jesus Christ was baptized in the Jordan River, as we see here, and they were being baptized in the Jordan River. And and it's full immersion. Uh, Here's the interesting thing. is that the only time that the Jews baptized people by immersion was when a Gentile wanted to become a Jew. They wanted to become a proselyte. They they wanted to become a God-fearer. And so what? they would do with a Gentile who wanted to be a follower of Jehovah, is they would baptize baptize him by immersion. And that introduced them into the Jewish faith. So here you have John baptizing Jewish people. What does that mean? Well, that means that they were taking on a new way of life, that they were changing their behavior. It wasn't just you know, do the religious things, it was, I want my heart devoted to God. I want to clean my heart up for God and have a pure heart for Him. They were confessing, they were agreeing with God that they had gone off track and that they needed to repent. So we look back at the same verse we were looking at. Uh, confessing their sins, they were baptized by Him in the Jordan River. So they're baptized by immersion. Now, we baptize by immersion here at Springbrook. we got to realize the baptism that John performed was not the same type of baptism that we performed. Because you see, baptism symbolizes something. In this case, it symbolized the repentance of the Jewish people. So John's baptism was for the repentance of the Jewish people. The baptism that we practice here at Springbrook, which is found in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, is a baptism for believers. After a person comes into relationship with Christ by realizing they're a sinner, realizing that they can do nothing to earn a relationship with God and putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they become a believer, a part of the family of God. Then Christ commands them to be baptized. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is a way of testifying to other people that you have become a Christ follower and you're committed to Christ in his church. In the same way, this type of baptism we see here that was done by John, these people were testifying that they were repenting of their way of life, that they wanted to live in a new way with their hearts devoted to God. So you have John's baptism for the Jewish people, then you have uh, the baptism for believers uh, that we practice. Now, Jesus Christ goes as far in the Great Commission to say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's a command. So God basically says, Jesus Christ says, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. And we believe it's by immersion. In fact, the Catholic Church practiced baptism by immersion until like the Middle Ages. That's when they started the, the sprinkle. So there's no doubt about it. In our minds that baptism by immersion is the mode of baptism so my question for you is have you been baptized by immersion if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and if you haven't you should be because Jesus Christ commanded it now I know people have a lot of hang-ups about baptism I got to get in front of people and I got to get wet and (laughs) all those different types of things but friends Jesus Christ commanded it right So you need to do it. And if you don't do it, you're sinning against Him, right? So I would really encourage you, if you have not been baptized as a believer, to study this. If you have issues, talk to me, talk to Pastor Rich, Justin, uh, other people, your small group leader. Talk to them about what your issue is because there's no reason for you not to be baptized. And if you have issues, hopefully you can work those out. And you can follow the Lord in baptism. We have a baptism out at Lake in the Hills uh, coming up in September. We'll hopefully have another baptism. We'll see if a lot of people want to be baptized before that. But we have a baptism class you can go to. So if you indicate interest today about that, uh, we'll tell you about our baptism class. And you can go and learn more about this. But friends, follow the Lord in baptism because it's what he wants you to do. And I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it again. I've never had a person come back to me after they're baptized and say, "Boy, Dan, you led me, uh, you led me uh, down the wrong path." I mean, that was a horrible experience. I've been having nightmares every night about that baptism. I'm drowning in this horse tank. You know, uh, <laughs> no, no. I only hear good reports, and uh, even from other people, I, I hear good reports. People, uh, so it's not like people are hiding their fears from me. But the point is, is that you need uh, to be baptized, all right? Okay, well, as we continue on in our passage, uh, Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 7. Now here's where things kind of change. Now John is out there baptizing people, wonderful things are happening, revivals taking place. But verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, they were the religious leaders of that day. The Pharisees were more the religious leaders, and the Sadducees were more of the governmental and business leaders of that day. But neither group really was, again, concerned about God. They were concerned about looking good. They were concerned about their own agendas. Their hearts were not devoted to God. They needed the baptism of repentance So John friendly greets them. He says, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. Vipers are poisonous snake." Okay. (laughs) He didn't have a high opinion of these guys. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? What are you doing here? And who told you that you should receive the baptism of repentance? Now, they were probably there just to check out what was going on to see maybe if they could be opportunists and use John's... uh, Uh, again, public influence to help them. Who knows why they were there, but John didn't have a lot of good things to say about them. We go on on verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, listen, I know about you guys, and you don't show any fruit that shows the fact that you really have a heart that's devoted to God. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Now, back in that day, Jews thought, hey, everything is good. We're good with God no matter what we do because when we die, we're going to be with God because we are children of Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham. So we have to go to be with God in the afterlife. We don't have to really worry about how we live because we're good with Abraham. And John says, no, 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 no. I don't care if you're descendants of Abraham. God could make these rocks descendants of Abraham. It doesn't matter. It's like people today in our society. They're born in America, so they think they're a Christian. They're born into a Christian family, so they think they're a Christian. They're baptized into infants, so they think they're a Christian. They go through confirmation, so they think they're a Christian. So many people think that everything is okay with them and God, because of what someone told them. And they are not. They're not part of the family of God. They're condemned, and they're facing a Christless eternity. That's what John's saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees. these big leaders, he's saying, you guys are off track. You're dependent on the wrong thing. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. When you had a a farm where you were growing different types of fruit and you had a tree that was not producing fruit, well, you'd cut it down because it wasn't doing you any good. You wanted to free up that space for healthy trees. That's what John is saying. And you guys are unhealthy, you Pharisees and you Sadducees. You're not producing any fruit whatsoever. You see, when a person comes into the family of God, when they're transformed by Jesus Christ, things are going to start to change in their lives. Their attitudes are going to start to change. Their behaviors are going to start to change. The way they spend their time is going to start to change. The way they spend their money... Is going to start to change. The way they treat people is going to start to change. And it's this ever continuing change process that lasts for a lifetime. So the question you and I need to ask is how much fruit is coming out of our lives? When was the last time that we can identify a time that God spoke to us and said, Hey, I got to get this area of my life cleaned up. I need to repent. When was the last time that I ministered to someone? That's, that's a fruit. When was the last time I sang praises to God and really meant it? That's, that's a fruit. Friends, if you really are a true believer, if you really have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, you're going to have fruit generated out of your life on a regular basis because God is at work within you. So, how is the harvest in your life? And maybe the harvest is not going so well. That means maybe you've distanced yourself from God. There's some virus in your life that's keeping you from producing the amount of fruit that God would desire from you. Well, friends, again, you need to repent, (laughs) right? Repent. Repent and turn to the Lord. And ask Him to clean up your life in order that you might do good works. In order that you might grow fruit because that's why he puts you on this earth. To have a relationship with him and to do good works, to show God's love throughout your world. Well, let's move on here. He goes a little softer here in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Yeah, That's the baptism for the Jews, for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, that's Jesus Christ, whose sandals I am not fit to carry so back in that day they had open-toed sand, open-toed sandals and of course you remember the last supper when jesus christ washed the disciples feet usually they had a servant to do that for some reason the servant didn't show up at that particular meal but that was that was the lowest thing you could do in that society was wash somebody's feet nobody wanted to do that and and john is saying here listen you know, i am not even worthy to do the lowest possible service that I could to this person and that is to wash his feet I, w- I wouldn't even carry his sandals because I'm so unworthy because he's God John realized that Jesus Christ was God himself now think carefully about this okay this next verse uh, his winnowing fork Jesus Christ's winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chap with unquenchable fire. Say what? (laughs) What's he talking about there? Okay, let's explain this. All right, here we have uh, a man working a winnowing fork. Anybody have a winnowing fork in their garage? Kind of like a rake, but... (laughs) okay. So, now back in that day, they didn't have all the farming equipment. It was agrarian society. So they had these threshing floors, and they were flat areas that were surrounded by bricks. And what they would do is they would bring the grain that they had grown, and they would put this on the threshing floor, and then they would crush it. Larger farms would have ox that would have pieces of wood, and they would drag the wood over the grain. And that would break up the grain, and you'd have kernels, and you'd have chaff. The kernels is what you're looking for, for wheat. That's what they were growing, growing wheat. Uh, And the chaff was what covered the kernels, and the chaff was junk. It was worthless. So what they would do is they would crush uh, the grain in order to separate the kernels from the chaff. But still, I mean, they're broken, but they're still there. So what they do is they take a winnowing fork, and they would try to position the threshing floor where there was a windy spot. And what they would do is they would throw up the kernel and the chaff at the same time but the kernel because of the weight would fall back onto the threshing floor and the chaff because it was lighter it would blow away okay so they would left it up and they would obviously have to do this a lot I <laughs> mean, you know do their whole crop uh, in this way in order to get just to the kernel so when they were done with a particular uh, project all they would have is the kernels there and they would collect those kernels and they would put them in the barn, and the chaff they would eventually collect over a long period of time and and just burn it because it was worthless. Now, let's go back to our verse again. Verse 12. Jesus Christ winnowing fork. You see Jesus Christ in the threshing floor? And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat, those are the kernels, into the barn. He's going to put the good stuff in the barn because that's going to make food and sell and all those kind of things and burning up the chaff, all the extra, you know, parts of the grain that he no longer needs with unquenchable fire. Now, let's go back to the uh, last part of verse 11. Jesus Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, the first type of baptism here is with the Holy Spirit. And, of course, that happened at Pentecost, right? Jesus Christ had given his life he had rose again from the dead he had gone to heaven and the holy spirit came down at pentecost in the early church and they were baptized by the holy spirit and whenever a person becomes a believer they put their faith in christ they receive the holy spirit within their lives they're baptized with the holy spirit it's not a physical baptism it's a spiritual type baptism but they're baptized with the holy spirit that's what he's talking about here the wheat Those who truly believe in Christ are baptized by the Holy Spirit. But the chaff, they are baptized with fire. Right? The wheat goes into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Burning up the chaff. What is the chaff? Chaff are people who reject God. Chaff are people who think they're Christians, but they're not really Christians because they put their faith in God and put their faith in Christ. And so, again, what happens is, is that God is going to take all those people who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, and he's going to put them in unquenchable fire. He's going to put them in hell. That's a baptism of fire. That is eternal judgment. Hell. How many of you have uh, tracked with uh, the Rob Bell story, Love Wins? Anybody seen that in Time Magazine or seen him on any particular TV show? Yeah, it's very disappointing. Rob Bell is a nationally known evangelical pastor. It's a very large church up in Michigan. He's been very influential. Uh, When he was teaching the right theology, uh, we were showing videos to our kids, NUMA videos. I've never seen a NUMA video before. Okay, a lot of you have seen a NUMA video. And and they were great stuff. I mean, very gifted uh, teacher. But uh, he has gone off the track. Uh, he basically now is saying there really isn't any hell. That Everybody, whether you be a Christ follower, whether you be a follower of Buddha or Confucius or uh, you're a Hindu or whatever, a Muslim, we're all going to end up in heaven because love wins. Now, he's got a whole theology about how all that happens. But it doesn't really matter because Rob Bell has become a universalist and a universalist says no matter what way you try to get to God you're gonna to get to him now he has a more defined process but it's the same thing and it is so sad that he has gone in this direction because he has a lot of influence with a lot of people and especially a lot of young people who watch all of his Numa videos and well, Rob Bell says it. it must be true and all those people out there uh, who are watching TV and might pick up the book and says, yeah, that's something I can live with. Jesus Christ talked a lot about hell. Friends, I'll tell you, it is the most difficult doctrine that I deal with. I'd rather not believe in hell. (laughs) Really. But I tell you what, it's in this book. Jesus taught it, I it hard to reconcile in my mind but it's true so if that's true what does that mean for us what does that mean for us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ that means that we're surrounded by people who are unbelievers surrounded by people who if they don't repent if they don't turn around they're going down a one-way street the wrong way and they're going to end up in a very bad place and that should just motivate us. That should just move us to love people, to to show them the love of Christ, to build relationships, to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ, to invite them out to Springbrook if they're at that point. In fact, we have Mother's Day next week, another uh, big holiday for people who like to come to church on those particular days. And hey, use that as an opportunity. Now, today is very deep, and we're talking about a lot of different things, but Next week I'll be happy again. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) All I'm saying is that it will be a little lighter, no doubt. Okay, and uh, I'll be talking about moms and encouraging moms and you know all that kind of stuff. But I'll say, hey, listen. The key to your relationship with your children is Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ in that relationship. So bring your friends out, all right? Because they need to hear. They need to hear about the solution to life and that is jesus all right let's continue on here uh john 129 this is the first time that uh, john sees jesus christ Uh, now again we don't know what the relationship was like we don't think there was a relationship that they had they met each other when they were in the womb and john jumped for joy Remember mary and elizabeth but uh we're not sure if they saw each other between that time and 30 years later the next day john saw jesus coming toward him and said Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is very interesting when you reflect upon it. John, more than anyone, understood that Jesus Christ was going to sacrifice his life. Mary and Joseph didn't understand that. Other people, wise men, other people who knew about the fact that this is a very special uh, child at that time, initially. Uh, nobody understood this except for Jesus And John, I believe, the Lamb of God, he was going to be sacrificed. And John was beheaded by Herod later in the gospel. And he never, of course, saw Jesus Christ crucified. But he knew because he was a prophet from God that God had given him insight. We don't know how much he knew, but he said, this is the Lamb of God. This is what I've been talking about, guys, all right? This is the reason I told you to repent because Jesus Christ is coming to save you spiritually it goes on we go back to Matthew 3 their corollary passages then verse 13 then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John so here you have Jesus Christ and my hunch is that John hadn't seen Jesus for quite a while and uh, all of a sudden Jesus shows up he doesn't have any disciples I think he just came alone so he shows up you got all these people waiting to be baptized all right for the baptism of repentance And Jesus comes up to John and says, You need to baptize me. And John says, I I need to be baptized by you. I need the baptism of repentance by you. You're God, and you come to me? Now, why in the world would I ever baptize you? You haven't sinned. There's no reason for you to have the baptism of repentance. And what does Jesus Christ say? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus Christ said, John, you need to do this. This is all part of the plan trust me. John says, okay, I'll do that. Why was Jesus Christ baptized by John? I think it was because the fact that it was the inauguration of Jesus Christ's ministry. He had not been known for 30 years now. He had been a carpenter. He was in Nazareth. But now he was going to come out publicly, and this was this is a way to kind of start out his ministry, to show people that there was something very special about him. I think another reason is that he wanted to identify with us in the sense that, uh, again, the idea of believer baptism that we practice today signifies Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And so in the sense that he was being baptized, he was identifying uh, with us in the sense that he was going to die and he was going to rise again. And identifying with sinners. He was going to bear sin. So there's a lot of thoughts about why Jesus was baptized. But again... He was baptized in verse 16 and 17 are so powerful. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, this is, here's some verses you need to sit and meditate on. You need to imagine this in your mind. When I get to heaven, they have the IMAX or whatever they have. I want to see this, you know. I mean, here—can you imagine the average guy, you know? And yeah, I got to confess my sin, and you know, I want to do this. And all of a sudden, you know, the heavens open up. Wow, that only happens a couple of different times in the Scripture. The heavens open up. We don't know what that looked like. And then a dove came down—a dove which represented the Holy Spirit, which I think represented the idea of the power of God that was going to fill Jesus Christ to do His work. And then. God says, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. So God says, hey, this is my Son. I love Him. I love that. Christianity is all about love. All about love. The Trinity. You see God the Father speaking here. You see God the Son, Jesus. You see God the Holy Spirit in the Dove. A beautiful picture that we don't see many times in Scripture of the Trinity. Being explained and here visually seen. They were all part of the rescue mission. And the Trinity, we'll we'll never fully understand that, right? Fully God, separate tasks, separate individuals, but equal. We'll never get our mind around that, but here we see it in such a beautiful way. And they were sending Jesus for you and for me, Jesus as our Savior. a great chapter huh oh yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i could preach four sermons on this chapter but we got to move along um yeah hey just go home and read this thing and let the lord speak to you through it and uh, some steps take out your communication slip and circle a letter if you'd like just to kind of say i'm taking this next step you want to read a chapter of matthew a day in may i'll repent of a sin in my life I'll invite a friend to Mother's Day. I'm interested in learning more about baptism. The last one we'll follow up on. We'll tell you about a baptism class coming up. But, uh, man, we're going to have a great time studying the book of Matthew, huh? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for John the Baptist. And I pray, Lord, that we would emulate his life through your power, that we would have Jesus Christ at the center of our lives, and that we would be great, not for our own benefit, but... Because we want to be great in your eyes. Of Jesus to be the focus. Lord, I pray for my friends who need to repent today. Very difficult for them, but I pray they humble themselves and turn from their sins. In order that that virus of sin might not further destroy their lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if we could have our